Okay, y'all, for the last time, open to the book of Esther. Can you believe it? This is the last sermon in the book of Esther. I must say, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, that uh, I had underestimated Esther. Did anyone else underestimate Esther? Okay, I completely underestimated Esther. I thought, oh, you know, as I was getting ready to do this, I thought, oh, man, this is great, a nice little Cinderella story for us all. We all need a little Cinderella story. We need a nice story. It's almost like, you know, with everything that's going on and all the crazy, can we just have a nice story, a Cinderella story? Hey, Chelsea, good to see you. So... Wouldn't you want that? I mean, it's almost like chicken noodle soup, you know, when you're not feeling good and you just had one of those days or you just need some, you know, chocolate chip cookies and some milk. Here's, here's just a nice Cinderella story. But God knew we didn't need a Cinderella princess. We needed a warrior princess, right? A warrior princess is what we get in Esther. We get this beauty queen who wins the award for best adult film star in all the ancient Near East. For those of you that are still slow, that means porn star, right? She wins it. That's how she becomes the queen of the most powerful man in the world who's an absolute, like, I can't say the words that he is. He's, he's just so, he's one, we know he's a womanizer, right? We got that down. But two, he's just, he's unstable. He's He's not talented. This is not a talented person. He's always looking to everybody else to tell him what to do. So this king is a very fragile king while being the most powerful man in the world. He's a very unstable person while being the most powerful man in the world. And this is Esther's husband, right? And then what happens is that God loves Esther and uses her to save the world not just the Jews. You are here because of Esther. Yeah, think about that one for a little bit. Think about that for a little bit. So this is not a Cinderella. This is a warrior. So what are we going to do? I mean, what are we going to do after Esther? I I must confess that snuck up on me this week. I was like, oh, oh, what are we going to do next week after this text, right? I don't know. What are we going to do? So here's what I thought we would do. I want to ask you a question, and then maybe this will help us figure out what to do. How are you doing right now? Like, how are you doing after seven to eight months of crazy with no end in sight? So how are you doing? How's everybody doing? Yeah, I see all kinds. I see thumbs up. I see shakings of head. Well, if you are uh, one of the statistics, if you're one of the people that have been polled, If you're a churched person, if you're a Christian person, and there are people that take the pulse of churched people and Christian people, this is what they say about you. This is what they're saying about the church, not just in Waco and not just Redeemer, but the church all over the United States right now. Church people, this is what they're saying. Universally, church people are voicing feelings of anxiety and depression. Seven to eight months of crazy with no end in sight. Church people universally now are voicing feelings of of being disconnected from God. So if you're feeling disconnected from God, join the church. Pretty much most people now in the church are feeling that. Isn't that interesting? But they're also voicing feelings of being disconnected from each other. 
There's two reasons for this. You could have two choices for this, right? Here's number one. Number one could be like COVID has been like a fist that hits the cup of your heart and reveals what's in your heart. So if I have a cup of water, I hit it, water spills. Why is water spilling? Because I'm hitting the cup. No, because there's water in the cup. The fist is the circumstance that revealed what's already there. COVID has been a major fist that has hit the church's heart and our hearts and has revealed what's already there. So many of us are thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have any meaningful relationships in my life. And COVID reveals that. You feel disconnected from people. But there's another thing COVID did is that it puts stress and strains on your relationships. So you say things like this, I don't like the people in my life. Could be your spouse, could be your kids, could be family members, could be your church, friends, former friends, right? Also, universally so, church people are voicing feelings of being disconnected from mission purpose, right? A mission in life, mattering, significance. In other words, what's God's purpose for the church? What's the mission of the church? Somebody please tell me, what's the mission of the church? Is it to end poverty? Is it social justice? Is it holiness? Your self-improvement, your marital improvement, your parenting improvement. Uh, Is it uh, better marriages and better ministries and better programs? Is it a certain music style and liturgy? Is that the mission of the church? (laughs) Is it your political party winning the mission of the church? Is it a cultural revolution? Is that the mission of the church? Is it a certain way? Is it a way of seeing the world winning in your academy, your education, your culture, your political party, social media, big business media? Is the mission of the church to make America a Christian nation? Is the mission of the church to make America a socialist, Marxist nation? I want you to know that all these missions are on the table right now. Everything I just said is on the table. What's the mission of the church? Is it evangelism? Is it small groups? Is it overseas missions? Is it good teaching, practical teaching, like how to be a good Christian kind of teaching? What's the mission of the church? Well, because we're feeling disconnected from God, feeling disconnected from each other, and disconnected from mission, I thought, how about a mini-series to get us through at least to the election? I mean, after the election, who knows <laughs> what will happen? I mean, everything's ruined. I mean, I, I, all I wanted to do at the beginning of this year, I came in wanting to preach stories that Jesus tells. I wanted to tell, I wanted to go through the parables, and then COVID ruined everything, and so now I'm trying to recoil. I'm like, am I ever going to get back to that? But I, I feel like no, because of what's happening in the culture, what's happening in you, what's happening in the church is actually driving what books we're going to look at and what we're going to look at. So how about a mini-series on this to get us through the election? Just to the election, you ready? How about this, stories from the dark? <laughs> Don't you love that? 
I mean, I told, I told Amanda that. She's like, she goes, Jeff, but just as long as there's like light in it. You know, and I started saying, oh, my word, you're just like my wife. She won't watch Gladiator because it doesn't have a, I'm like, that's the best movie ever. It has a horrible ending. Okay. Stories from the dark. Like, how about Daniel in the lion's den? Or how about like Jacob wrestling with God? How about like Rahab and Jericho? Right? How about another Sunday we do Peter or Paul like in prison and getting beat up and getting stoned, not with substance, but with rocks? Right? How about like Gideon facing the insurmountable, like impossible odds of the Midianite army? How about one Sunday we do that? And then maybe we end with Joe because, I mean, let's face it. You could pick anything about Job because it's all just like so sad. <laughs> Listen, when we're in Esther, what we've been doing is we've been trying to find the missing God. So every text, it's almost like this. You say, Jeff, how have you been structuring your sermons? Oh, it's real simple. We go to a text and we're trying to find the missing God. So let's say now we go to these dark texts. We're going to try to find the light. The light. In a dark text. I'm game. If you're game. All right, let's stand for the hearing of God's word. This is our last time in Esther. We're going to read Esther 9, selected passages. And some of it may be up there, some of it maybe not. And just so you know, like 10 years ago, my dad came up to me after the service one day and he said, Son, you're making up words while you're reading the text. And I go, He goes, It's time for you to get some glasses. So that's how I got these. It's been 10 years. These aren't working too well. <laughs> but I'm, I'm getting a, I think I have an eye appointment next week where I'll get some new glasses. So if I, I, I was known during the first service to make up some words. So I'm just warning you in advance. Now in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on that very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the providences of King Xerxes to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all the peoples. Now, when you hear fear, you immediately need to be thinking God. Remember, this text is a case of the missing God. The fear of any Israelites going, the fear of God. Nobody fears man. They fear God. So, yeah, that's what you should be thinking. The fear of God has descended upon everybody. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of God had fallen on all the peoples and all the officials of the provinces and the satraps, the governors, the royal agents. Help the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai, fear of God, had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. And they did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the capital itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And they also cured. Here's where I started making things up. So there are 10 names here. I'm just going to say these are 10 names. These 10 names are the 10 sons of Haman. The end. Now let's go to verse 11. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. So the king said to Queen Esther, hey, in Susa, the citadel, the capital, the Jews had killed and destroyed 500 men and also the 10 sons of Haman. He's reporting this good news, right? He goes, what do you think they've done in the rest of my provinces? 
So what's your wish? It shall be granted to you. What further is your request? And it shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, listen, if it please the king, let's just, she wanted to extend it one more day. Because she knew how much Haman's influence was so impactful in that city and that there were still people not convinced. And that's why she said, will you put Haman's sons up on the hooks too? So people can see, I want to spare people. Now let's go down. Did you see it's 16, 17? You'll hear this word, rest, relief, rest, relief, rest, relief. It's interesting. Now let's finish up at 20, and then we're going to end with 10. And Mordecai recorded all these things, and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar, also the 15th day, the extra day that was in the citadel or the capital, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got rest, the Jews got relief, the Jews got deliverance, the Jews got a great reversal from their enemies. And as the month that had been turned from them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, and it should be a day of feasting and gladness, days of giving gifts and foods to one another and to the poor. All right, let's end it. 10 verses 1 through 3. So Xerxes imposed a tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of Chronicles and the kings of Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second most powerful man in the world to Xerxes. He was great among the Jews, popular with them, and of his brothers. Why was he so great? Why was this so big? What's happening? This might be a mission. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. The word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. Lord, we thank you for this word. We love your word because you love us through your word. And that's the only reason why we love it. And so, Lord, would you love us to life through your word even now? Would you speak us to life like let there be light in our hearts, in our relationships, in our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so several years ago, there was a dazed uh, crew that was pulled out of the Sea of Japan. Uh, it was a Japanese trawler. It was plucked out of the Sea of Japan, and you ask, well, why was it? Because their boat blew up. And then when you want to know, well, like, okay, their boat blew up. Well, how did their boat blow up? And that's where things get a little weird. That's where things get a little strange. That's where things go a little crazy. Because to a man, everyone on the sunken boat said, this is what happened. Quote, a cow fell out of the clear blue sky and struck the boat amidships, which meant dead center. And so a flying cow comes flying out of the sky, shatters the hole, sinks it in a matter of minutes, blows it up, right? The Japanese authorities, when they're hearing this from these men, say, what do you think, we're stupid? What are you guys trying to hide? You're trying to hide something. So they put him in prison, right? Until, it was very interesting, this general from the Russian Air Force approaches the Japanese authorities very reluctantly. But he admits to the following story. The crew of one of his cargo planes was in a far distant field in a place called Siberia in the middle of nowhere, and there was a cow wandering around the edge of the airfield. And the crew, thinking nothing of hamburgers, everything but hamburgers, 
uh, quote, this is what it said, confiscated a cow, meaning they stole it, and forced the cow into the plane and then quickly took off before the owner found out. Oh, it gets better. The cow is now in its new surroundings and doesn't like her new surroundings, so the cow goes into a rampage and starts kicking and bucking and banging into the walls of the airplane. <laughs> and the Russian, the Russian Air Force people on the cargo plane start freaking out because you would too. The cat, the whole, this whole, this airplane is not designed to hold a cow who's on a rampage. And so they start saying, we're going to die, we're going to die. This cow is going to bring the plane down. So what did they do? Oh, you know what they did. They opened the door and pushed the cow out at 30,000 feet, flying over the Sea of Japan. <laughs> Man, it just doesn't get any better than that. If that. This story, to me, summarizes the whole book of Esther. Life is the roll of the dice, is it not? What are the chances of that happening? Seriously. The whole sea of Japan at 30,000 feet. Life is the roll of the dice. The whole book of Esther is the roll of the dice, literally. In chapter 3, verse 7, it says, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, the twelfth year of King Xerxes, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots. They rolled the dice. To determine what the lucky day was going to be. What was the day that Haman, the second most powerful in the man that has ancestral roots that go all the way back to the Amalekites, this ancient enemy of Israel, all the way back when they were coming out of Egypt, they were the first ones to attack them. Eight ancient hatred, an ancient enemy. And he's about to do what Hitler couldn't do. He got the king's permission to wipe them all out. And he rolled the dice. In other words, what they did is they got together. Haman got his staff together, and they, they took the dice, and they, they looked at the whole year, and they go, is it this month? And they rolled the dice. No, not that month. Is it this month? No, it's not that one. What are the dice saying about here? Here, finally in the 12th month, 13th day, the lucky day. That's the day. Life is the roll of the dice. Uh, sometimes you find love in life. Sometimes you don't. Roll the dice. Uh, sometimes circumstances go your way. Sometimes there's no pandemic. Sometimes there's no shutdown. Sometimes you don't have job insecurity. Sometimes you don't have financial insecurity. Sometimes there are no cultural chaos. Sometimes there's no racial tensions. Sometimes there's no political power plays and outright grabs and censorship. And sometimes the circumstances don't go your way. And there are pandemics. Roll the dice. Sometimes the good wins, right? And a lot of times, evil wins, and a lot of times, they're suffering. Roll the dice. 
In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, the 12th year of King Xerxes, they cast Pur, that is, they rolled the dice. Pur, which stands for the roll of the dice, produces an emotional life. It does produce an emotional life. You want to know what kind of emotional life? When you, if your life is about rolling the dice, if that's the way we live, if, if I roll the dice, if I live by Pur and I roll the dice... What kind of person am I? What kind of emotional life am I? And the answer from this text is, you're an anxious person and you're a depressed person. You have an emotional life that's full of anxiety, an emotional life that's full of depression when you live by rolling the dice. Per, which stands for rolling the dice, believes in God. It believes in a God that's missing. It believes in a God that's disconnected from you. Per, which stands for roll of dice, produces relationships, and it produces relationships that are shallow. It produces relationships that are disconnected. Relationships that lack love and lack loyalty and lack depth and lack doing life together. It not just produces shallow relationships, it produces short relationships because relationships can't stand the strains and can't stand the messes and can't stand the stresses of ordinary, normal life. They bail. Per, the roll of the dice, is confused about mission. It asks, what is the mission? Answer, Crickets, confusion, chaos, frustration, emptiness. What is the mission? I don't know. I don't know my purpose in life. But what if the book of Esther is not the roll of the dice? What if the book of Esther is not purr? What if your life and your relationships and your mission and your purpose is not the roll of the dice? What if it's not purr? How would that change you and change our relationships and change a church and change a culture and change a community and change a school and change a city and change a country? What difference would it make? Esther 9.1 says, Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and the thirteenth day of the same, day of the same day, the lucky day. Here's the lucky day. This is the day of Pur. This is the day of the roll of the dice. This is the day of the roll of the dice indicated. When the king commands, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on that very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, on that lucky day, the day of the dice, the reverse happened. This is unbelievable. The reverse happened. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. Do you see it? It's it's incredible. Look at verse 26. It's explicit. It states it explicitly. Therefore, they called these days, this reverse, they called these days Purim after the term Pur. In other words, Pur becomes Purim. This is incredible, y'all. The roll of the dice becomes the day of the great reversal. Her becomes Purim. 
Don't miss this. All of Esther is built on purr. Like all of Esther is built on suspense. All of Esther is built on drama. We've been watching this book. We've been reading this book, right? It's one suspense after another suspense. It's one drama after another drama. It's one coincidence after another coincidence. I mean, even when Xerxes walks into the room, Haman is falling on his wife. The text just says, it just so happens, Haman is falling on Esther. I mean, it's just crazy, coincidence after coincidences. It's chaos after chaos. It's roll the dice after roll the dice. Who's in control? What's happening? No one knows until now. Until this day. And then it's crystal clear. All the drama, all the mystery, all the coincidence, it all ends right here. Because the end was never in question for the whole book. It was finished. It was done. It was accomplished at the beginning of the book. But for those who didn't know it, everything was drama. Everything was suspense. Everything was Untold coincidences, everything was chaos. And all of a sudden, characters throughout this whole book, it's set. The great reversal is not in question. The deliverance is not in question. The end is not in question. The end is certain. And all of a sudden, when characters awakened to it, they changed. For Mordecai, he was disconnected from God. He was disconnected from his niece. He was disconnected from Israel. And he was disconnected from mission until he got it. What's stunning is that the end was never in question. Never. And faith sees this. Faith embraces this. Faith trusts this. Now, you've got two things going on here. You have two characters that their lives radically change. One becomes a warrior. And one becomes this, this prophet of, pre, of peace, right? When he awakens, when they awaken, that the end is certain. The end is done. The end is finished. And then everybody else is still running around being reasonable people. A king who uses power and he's trying to figure things out through power. If Paul was here, Paul would say, listen, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are three kinds of people in the world. There are Greeks and there are Jews and then there are Christians. And here's what the Greeks do. The Greeks, they love reason. And so they're all about reason. And they're all about finding life and interpreting reality and finding salvation and purchasing happiness by, by theories and interpretations of reality and philosophies and thinking and feeling and experiencing life and putting them together in things like isms. And people buy into them and they make institutions out of them and you pay hundreds and thousands of dollars to send to your kids to them. And then there are other people. And when the, the, the Greeks, when they look at the stuff that we're looking at, they go, it's foolishness. But then you have another group of people and you call, they're the 
Paul calls them the Israelites, the spiritual people. And what are the spiritual people? They're into power, man. They want to fix themselves. They want to fix their relationships. They want to fix everything. But when they look at the gospel, they go, weakness. There's not enough power in that. And Paul says to the Greeks, the gospel is the wisdom of God. And to religious people, it's the power of God. What you think is foolish is actually wisdom. What you think is weak is power like you know nothing of. That's the book of Esther. And all of a sudden, Mordecai, when he realizes the good news that it's God is the God of the great reversal, that the end was never in question. He sees it, and he changes. I mean, look what happens to him. He says to Esther, he says, look, you can, if you keep signing, Esther, you don't have to do anything. Listen, you can keep being the beauty queen and doing whatever you do in the palace, going to the sauna, whatever it is. You can do that. You can keep silent. If you do, though, you need to know that relief and deliverance will come from someplace else. It's certain, Esther. God is the God of reversals. God is the God of deliverance. God is the God of rescue, Esther. And now she hears these words, and they go right into her soul, and she changes on the spot. And what does she do? She says, okay, I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish... A warrior. A man that pursues the good of people and proclaims good news to people. Mordecai. What makes Esther a warrior, though? You know what makes Esther a warrior? The end is never in question. The great reversal is never in question. How does she know that the end is never in question? How does she know that the great reversal was never in question? Because what got into Esther and finally got down to the roots of her being and finally filled her up, and turned her into a warrior, she realized, oh my word, God fights for us. God fights for me. I'll fight for others. Esther fights for others because God fights for her, and that got into her bones. That's why she could say, listen, if I perish, I perish. Because I already know he's fighting for me. And I already know he won. Where I am in the plan of all that, I don't know. But it really ultimately doesn't matter. Because he wins and he won. I can tell you that this book has literally changed my life in that area. wife can vouch for it. The leaders of this church can vouch for it. I will tell you, you will hear me over and over again. I find so much comfort. I find so much energy. I find so much power in knowing this. If I perish, I perish. But I'm going to go for it. I'm absolutely going to go for it.
One of the Jewish songs that's sung in the Feast of Purim to this day has a line that goes like this. It says, all the world was struck with amazement when Haman's purr became our Purim. <laughs> when Haman's purr became the day God fought for us. When Haman's purr became the day of the great reversal. When Haman's purr showed that the end was never uncertain. So the book of Esther is one of the last books of the Bible. So this is fascinating. I mean, some folks say it is the last book. I think it's the last book. It's only the last history book. So what that means was is that there's going to now be 400 years of silence until Jesus comes. So what do you think this book is designed to do? You know what this book is designed to do? It's designed to do for the Israelites. It's designed to do for you and me. It's designed to do for anyone living in those 400 years that are wondering, where is God and why hasn't he spoken? It's designed to do this. Push Purim into your soul. Push this reality that the end is never in question into your soul. To push into your soul the reality that there's a greater day of reversal coming. Deep into your soul. In fact, to push deep into your soul that there is going to be a great day of reversal coming. But you've got to ask yourself this. We have to ask ourselves, because we're thinking people, we're intelligent people, we're theological people, we're church people. So we come to the text. You've got to ask yourself, though, why, why didn't Purr happen to Israel, though? You had this death sentence put on Israel. Why did God deliver them? Because you got to I mean, is it because Xerxes and Haman are so much more worse than Mordecai and the Israelites and Esther? Is that the case? I mean, do I need to remind you that Esther was a porn star? Do I need to remind you that Mordecai was a coward? Do I need to remind you that the Israelites that are in this city right now are the ones that don't believe in God? Because all the ones that believed in God, all the ones that had a relationship and a connection with God, left the Babylonian Empire, left the Persian Empire, left all the empires and went back to Jerusalem. So whoever these people are, they're spiritual losers. So how does Israel know that God will fight for them? How do you know that God will fight for you? Why is there a day of great reversal? You've got to ask that question when you read this text because it's not that the answer is not solved. The answer is pushed forward. You're just like, why did that happen? Why were they spared? They should not have been spared. There should have been a, they should have all been executed. The answer is because eventually Pur does come. Her does come. And on that lucky day, there are also the casting of dice, the roll of the dice, for the possessions of another Israelite. Actually, the true Israelite. And he was sentenced to death while Roman soldiers cast lots rolled the dice for his stuff, just like was going to happen in Esther. And on that great day, do you remember the three words, destruction, death, and annihilation that were in that edict to wipe out all the Israelites? Well, death, destruction, annihilation actually come to the new Israel 
actually land on the true Israel. It's so overwhelming. It's so devastating. It's so decreating that actual physical world, the actual created world went physically dark at noon. On this purr, there's another king, the ultimate king, who puts on trial and sentenced to death and hangs him on a Roman cross. The true Haman. A new Haman. The ultimate Haman. And Paul writes of it, he says, he became sin itself. Not even you and me right now, that can be said about us. And we're pretty bad. On this purr, the new Haman, the true Haman cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am completely disconnected from God. I am completely disconnected from any human being. I am disconnected from anything and all things good. I'm lost. On this purr, the dark powers win. Sin wins, death wins, hell wins. Ultimate, cosmic, intelligent evil in a person wins. On this day, on this purr, the roll of the dice wins. And then Luke has this incredible thing. Like, Luke is a historian, and all of a sudden, he has this incredible line in his gospel, and it's like, he's just talking about events. He's talking about real history. He's talking about a day, a day. He's talking about a day like it's a day in human history. He's talking about a day just like the day of Purr. He's talking about a day that's actually recorded. And on that day, he says, listen, I'm just writing. I'm just telling you the facts. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm not interpreting it. I'm just telling you what happened. On that day, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. This was never in question. The end was never in question. The great reversal was never in question. The moment the stone rolled away from the tomb proved that God had fought for you and had been fighting for you and ultimately fought for you from all human history. Per becomes perim. The roll of the dice becomes the roll of the stone. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. This is the, this is the application of the text. Do you see that? This is what they did. They now look at what happened in Purim. Pur became Purim. Oh, my word, the great reversal was never in question. The end was never in question. God fights for us has never been in question. God's the great God of great reversals was never in question. And now when they look at that, they start, they start calling these days Purim. This is what we need to do. This is what you and I need to do. You need to start calling the days of Pur, which are happening right now, the days of the pandemic, the days of the shut-in, the days of cultural chaos, the days of uncertainty, the days of anxiety and depression. We need to call these days, not the day of Pur, the roll of the dice. We need to call them Purim. The end was never uncertain. 
We need to call them the roll of the stone. <laughs> Not the roll of the dice. The roll of the stone. Stop rolling the dice in your life. Stop rolling the dice in your relationship with God. Stop rolling the dice in your relationship. Stop rolling the dice with your mission. Roll the stone. Roll the stone. Because Jesus rolled the stone away, you are not disconnected from God. Do you see that? All disconnection from God ended at the cross. All disconnection from God is left in the tomb. Jesus rolled the stone. There's no more disconnection from God. So if you don't know Jesus, now's the time to connect with him. If you do know Jesus and you're like, I feel so disconnected from God over these seven months. And I say to you, as I say to myself, because I have felt that too, who cares what you feel? It's not true. How do you know it's not? Your feelings aren't true. Because the stone rolled away. But wait, I still have a feeling. I don't care. The stone rolled away. You know what needs to happen? When that stone rolled away actually starts passing into your soul and you start believing it and trusting it, you know what happens? New feelings, new thinking, new experiences of reality. That's how we change. We also need to do this with our relationships. You need to do it with your shallow relationships. If you're one of the ones in COVID that realized, I have no meaningful relationships. The end's not over for you. Because the stone rolled away, all barriers, all obstacles, everything that keeps you disconnected from others has been obliterated. It's died on the cross. It's left in the tomb. The stone rolled away. So now you can pursue meaningful relationships with people. You don't have to be a coward. You don't have to, well, will they like me? Who cares? Go like them instead. Oh, well, I don't have any friends. I don't know. Well, who cares? Go be a friend. Do you see how this works? It's radically different. And then for those of us that like, you know, we don't like the people anymore. I get that. I don't like a lot of you either. <laughs> Just saying. But God gave us to each other. And you tell me what looks like the church. <sighs> Bickering, dividing. They don't believe what I believe. Or you know what? Come through hell or high water. We're in this together. I'm going to forgive you. You're going to forgive me. I'm a jerk. You're a jerk too. You tell me. Roll the stone. Let's end. Look how this thing ends. This is incredible. Those of us that are looking for mission. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank. That means he's the second most powerful man in the world. And he was great. <laughs> Remember Mordecai wanted nothing to do. Remember Haman wanted greatness his whole life. 
He lusted after it. He sold his soul for it. He wanted everybody to see it. And, and Mordecai was like, I could care less, right? But what happens? He becomes great. He becomes great to the Jews, and he's popular with the multitude of his brothers. And then the text is going to tell you why. It's not because he sought it. It's not because he lusted after it. It's not because he thought it would make him happy. It's not because it would make his life matter. It's because he got the fact. If Mordecai was here today, he would say it this way. He'd say perim, but now if he was here today, he'd go, because of the stone. How do you know this? Because that's what the text tells you. The text says he sought the welfare, which means he sought the salvation, the good of his people. That's just loving people. And spoke peace to his people. Well, what peace did he speak? What peace can there be? Peace is the cessation of war. What is peace? Well, he said, God fights for you. God fought for you. The end was never in question people. That's what he told them. The great reversal was never in question. God's love for you was never in question. God's presence with you was never in question. God at work in your life was never in question. But the world's in chaos. It was never in question. But we're about ready to be die. We're about ready to be murdered. Never in question. Roll the stone. Stop rolling the damn dice. 